He's the host with the most. And this is The Saturday Show with Edward Hayden. Oh, good morning. Yes, indeed, it is the Saturday show. And indeed, it is me, Edward Hayden, with you and with you right through until 12 noon. And hopefully you're in a position to stay with me and us until then. Uh, thanks so much to Natalie for le- easing us gently into this morning's um, inclement weather with lots of music and chat. And, um, of course, Etna there with the news, Arasharish, Er Ehendeg. But you know what? I'm all in a tizzy myself this morning. Martin Bridgman is with me this morning. I had to give him a ring at half nine to tell him I was just leaving my house. Uh, I got delayed. I'm in Enniscorthy later on uh, today doing a cookery demonstration. So I was making a meringue roulade this morning to bring with me. And uh, I was willing the meringue roulade to cook. Uh, I had window boxes down on the ground. I had flowers down on the ground after the night. My decision was either to be here for quarter to ten or take a shower so I took the shower you'd be glad uh, to hear my clothes for an escort in the boots so anyway that's the drama of my life so uh, next two hours I'm looking forward to sitting and relaxing and giving you my undivided attention the world intervenes doesn't it 0833069696 is our dinnersready.ie contact line here on Casey Law you can use that for all of your texts and whatsapp sorry of course you can telephone Martin on 1800 90 96 96 should you so desire to do so now what am I coming up for you today we have a jam packed show today I have our resident gardening expert Shirley Lanigan and um, we'll have to be sorting out all these damaged flowers, I'm afraid. Uh, she'll be coming to us very shortly. Rosemary Lachlan, uh, who's a Dublin-based actor and lawyer, is bringing us a rose by any other name. And it is in Roth House this evening. It is an ode to Shakespeare. So we look forward to chatting with her about that. Um, Friday the 4th of August um, which was yesterday Bishop Dennis Nolte celebrated the 10th anniversary of his ordination as Bishop of Kildare and Lachlan there is um, a, a special celebration due to take place this Sunday in Carlow Cathedral uh, we've invited him on to chat with us about that and about his um, his uh, administration in the diocese uh, coming up after 11 o'clock you may remember a while ago we spoke to Zoe Holohan on this programme and Zoe is author of As the smoke clears and you may recall that her husband Brian tragically passed away in Greece as a result of wildfires a number of years ago and Zoe has been much in the news uh, in the last little while with regard to the wildfires that have raged uh, across several cities in Greece so we're going to be touching base with Zoe and finding out how she is uh, a little bit of time uh, on from that. Also David Woods, PRO of the Innesteeg Vintage Rally will be telling us about uh, what's coming up in Innesteeg for the to rally this bank holiday weekend and because it is a bank holiday weekend we said we'd give you a little cocktail and who else who else could we invite on other than Andy Clark mixologist and food and drink writer you'll know him from Love Your Weekend on ITV and author of Home Bar um, follow him on Instagram TV's Andy Clark he's great old crack and uh, he's going to give us a lovely little bit of uh, bank holiday fizz so what could be better here on the Saturday show 083 as I said, is our dinners ready data e contact line. We are very much, and I mean very much, open for business. Um, now, let's head over to the telephone line. And as I said, on it, we're joined by our resident gardening expert, Shirley Lanigan. Shirley, good morning to you. Oh, 
Good morning, Edward. You and those poor window boxes. Oh, sacred heart. I just said when I came out this morning, as if my life wasn't bad enough, I had put out the window boxes or put out house plants last night in the rain because we all know that the rain is great from them, from following your advice. So they were a bit yeah. battered and bruised this morning. There was a, oh. a, 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 a recliner chair gone down the garden. My lovely you know those candle big candle holder urns uh was gone yeah. off of the barbecue table um my friend rita had given us a lovely little um uh, an orchid in a pot that was gone oh sacred heart and my petunias are in bits they're in flitters oh what i mean what sort of, it's a bad joke at this stage isn't it listen it is a bad joke it is certainly a bad joke and it's so funny I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and I never was one of these people who talked about the weather you know but really the weather is really getting into our psyche and you know so many people use the weather uh, in the summer the good weather to kind of charge themselves up I've had two barbecues I've lit my outdoor fire once all is not well surely no, I said there's mice living under most barbecue hoods at this stage, <laughs> happily rearing, rear, uninterrupted, rearing families and yeah. generations of new mice. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I haven't thought once about eating outside. No. Well, I'm looking out here now this morning. I'm sitting in our studio, our lovely, uh, nice, warm, cosy studio here on the Dublin Road. And I'm looking out and there's trees there. I think they're... Um, I think they're maple or I don't know what kind of trees they are, but they are literally just blowing the very same as if it was getting ready for the October bank holiday weekend as opposed to the August one. I know it's, 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 it's unfair, but hopefully the worst has, has blown over. You know, they've still in Carlos, they've still got events today um, in the Carlisle Garden Festival and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed. Hopefully it will all go well for them. We've got Fergus Garrett up in Huntington and Mary Staunton in the lovely Delta Sensory Gardens. I'd say they're running around at the moment, busy, tidy, tidying up after the mad wind last night. Absolutely. What can you do? What can you do? And we must plough on, in, in, in fairness. If you saw me this morning, uh, they're all laughing at me, I'm sure, because I'm in my shorts and T-shirt and flip-flops. I dress for the summer, regardless what the weather is like. In the summer, I wear summer clothes. Well, I like that. I think that's committing yourself in summer. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're playing, you're playing your part. And, and the gods have to play theirs now. Let's get out anyway, in your shorts and the flip-flops. When you get back from, from the food event in Enniscorthy, you'll have to get out with the snips and start going through those window boxes. And anything that's battered and you can see, you know, has, has, has been broken or snapped by the, the wind and rain, Snip it back. Snip back all the dead, damaged stuff because that then will let the plant, when the rain finally decides to leave us alone <laughs> and the sun comes out, <laughs> what buds there are will start budding out because think about it. Those window boxes, they're planted up so that they will look good between now and basically the end of autumn. So it's temporary damage. Keep telling yourself it's temporary damage. Cut off the damaged stuff, cut off the damaged flowers. Bring in the damaged flowers if they're okay. If it's only the bottom of the stem that's been damaged, put them in one of those little short vases and play around with them inside. So get some value out of your ever things. Ever the optimist. Anyway, Shirley, we can't just focus on me, so we must move on to our listeners. And uh, they're wondering, a texter is saying, and this is one I'm sure that will be very pertinent for many of our gardening uh, fans here on a Saturday morning. The texter says, hi, Shirley, can anything be done about briars growing up through hedges 
I mean, Shirley, this is a malady known to many. Yes, it is. Now, okay, if you're out in the country and you want blackberries, hang on to at least some of them. If you're not out in the country and you don't want blackberries, you're not going to be, you know what I won't be recommending. Yes, I do. Yeah. So, okay, get your sharp snip and leather gloves and the thickest heaviest, if you can, like a wax jacket or a leather coat or something that gives you a few sturdy layers between you and the brambles because they're vicious. So go and snip them as far as you can. What's, what, you know, those branches that are sort of dangling out from your, from your um, hedge. And then get down to the ground on your knees and trace the branches to where they actually hit the ground and, 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 and go down to the root system. And you would be amazed. Cut it down to about a foot. That means everything above it is going to die. And then down on your hands and knees, and as I say, with those good, strong leather gloves, basically just yank and pull and pull until you get as much of the root as you can out of the ground. Now, in a year or two, there'll be a small little plant coming back up there in exactly the same spot. But you've given yourself a year or two's grace. So basically... Snip them to the ground, cut out all the stuff that you can get at, and then get the root from the ground by pulling or digging or whatever you can do. And so, I, I promise it works because I've, I've done it myself several times. It's like, I'm sure the neighbours get some sight if you're kind of going around on your hands and knees, pulling the few briars out from under the edge. They'll be very impressed. I'm sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> Kirsty has been on there. Kirsty has an interesting one, surely. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I know you will be. Um, Hi, Edward and Shirley. My lettuce plants from Aldi are thriving, whilst everything else is drowned or eaten by snails. It's probably not organic, but I would like the super drug that's on the lettuce on all my plants, says Kirsty. <laughs> well, they were probably grown in a, a, a very fertile compost. And actually, lettuce isn't, doesn't mind a bit of wet. So that's why it's growing, where a lot of the other stuff is, is just saying, lads, would you let up on the watering for a few mm, minutes? Mm. But anyway, the best way to keep it going is do the, there's a cut and come system. And basically what you do is you just keep nipping off leaves as you, as you um, want. And the plant will keep sending up new leaves. So you could have weeks and weeks from each of those individual plants. If at the moment, if they're in a small container, you could pop them up into the next size one as well because the more of the roots are feeding from below, the more leaves they'll send up for you. And lettuce, of course, Shirley, and we spoke about this before, it's a great thing to grow to kind of, um, you know, grow your gardening confidence because it does normally uh, present in a bountiful format. Oh, it does. I mean, once it gets going, it's hard to keep up with it. You'd want to be very fond of eating lettuce. And in fact, you, you'll end up doing things like, uh, you know, frying it and, and, and putting it in soups and stuff because that disintegrates it down as, as it does spinach, you know, to very tiny proportions. Mm. So you can end up being very luck with the lettuce once it starts um, cropping because, it, you know, it's very fast to grow. And it'll grow as quick as you eat it. And there's something so gorgeously crisp about the lettuce that you grow like that, that you literally take in, wash it, dry it either between the tea towel or in the spinner and have it straight away. I mean, you can't buy it. 
Ah, uh, yeah, sure. Anything that you can uh, eat as you as straight from the garden is, is is a brilliant thing. Absolutely, Shirley. Talk to me about um, you know, as I said, we're we're heading uh, at great speed for the autumn gardening period. Talk to me about what we could be doing now in terms of gathering seeds to have for for next spring because things are getting to their kind of their fullest and 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 most um display. What should we be looking out for to gather then for next year around our own gardens at home? Well, basically, you can sort of divide the summer into the early summer and the late summer. A lot of the early summer things, they're finished flowering and they're setting seed. You can take seed from any of those. But there are also still things like dahlias and, 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 and that, and they're autumn flowers. So they're only really coming into their own now for the next few months. The amazing thing about something like dahlias to note for, for when they too set seed is you can grow dahlias so easily from seed. You just collect it, dry it, store it in a good dry place. And the amazing thing is you'll never know what colour, what shape or what size the flower that you grow is. is. It's rarely the same as the parent plant. But anyway, anything in the garden that you'd like to look at, you might have had marigolds or tajits or any of those things. If they've set seed, bring it in, put it on like a, a you know, a dry tissue or a piece of kitchen roll or something like that on a window. Dry it completely, put it into a little a, a, an envelope. If you still get post uh, letters in the post, you reuse your envelope by putting the dried seed in there and marking the outside saying, you know, pink poppies or red double poppies or marigolds or whatever it is you happen to have for sowing next year. And then keep them in a cool, dry place until next spring. Oh, gorgeous. Uh, and again, that's the efficient gardener, isn't it? You know, there's not the same amount then of, of financial outlay in that as well. Absolutely. Now, you will also find that some things are so good at self-seeding around that you won't ever have to um, collect seed. And actually, when I say poppies, poppies are one of the ones that if they like the garden, they'll crop up all over the place. So you probably won't have to save them. But if you had a particularly good colour... Sometimes with poppies, you know, you say you plant double pinks and you get, you know, the most beautiful, slightly different shaded one and it's got touches of black in the down at the base of the petals or something like that. If you've got one that is different that you really, really like, make sure to save that. Now, you won't be guaranteed that the seeds will be the same colour, but you'll have a chance. Okay, there'll be a hybrid anyway. There'll be no. There'll just be a chance. They're <laughs> they're they're very um, promiscuous. Would be a good word. I think you could use to describe okay. them. I'm trying to think what else. Um, horticulturally uh, and, speaking. Okay. <laughs> horticulturally speaking, exactly. Now, any of the meadow flowers that everybody loves so well, like cornflowers and that sort of thing, they're also very very good um, uh, to save seed from. Corn cockles, all of those things. Mm, indeed. Uh, Shirley, talk to me then about, um, you know, ponds, pond areas. Uh, again, they're kind of uh, wet and murky at the minute. What can we be doing uh, around that in terms of planting in that kind of continuously wet environment? Well, the good thing about the ponds is that they are loving all the rainwater. They don't do well if you have to top them up with um, chlorinated uh, uh, domestic water. So, any if your if your pond happened to have been you know down at a low uh, ebb, 
when we were bone dry back there in June, by now it's probably happily overflowing. And if it isn't, and if you've got water butts and, 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 and containers of, of rainwater around the garden, dump them all in because that keeps the pond much happier than um, if it starts reducing down. So if it's if you find you've got too much of something, you could plan at the end of the year to lift it out and divide it and share it with a friend who's got a pond. Or you might think that, you know, your pond is lacking a little something. Maybe it's got lots of lilies, but wouldn't it be nice as well to have a few sort of tall accented plants like flag irises or bulrushes or something like that. And what you could do then is you go to the garden centre and the water or the pond area and get a baby plant of whatever of those ones that you you know would fancy might improve your pond a little. What I have in my pond, and they absolutely adore it, and again, I'm talking about, you know, for a, a, an upright accent plant. You know the white arums? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have them and they grow in water beautifully. A lot of people would grow them in a border, but they grow magnificently in water. So magnificently that I think uh, within the next year or so, I'm probably going to have to put the waders on, climb in, lift them out and divide them because they've they've actually, at this stage, they've taken over more area in the pond that I had planned. But it's really lovely to have a small plant growing up out of water especially a flowering one like that. For sure. Uh, you know, uh, nature and gardening, it never ceases to amaze me. And I've said this several times before to our listeners, but and there, the, it's uh, bridal wreath, I think, is the one that you gave me. Is it about six years ago at this stage? Francoa, yes. Francoa. Well, I have given that to more people, you know, bits of it when you told me to divide it. And I divided it again this year and I got three extra out of the ones that that were there from last year. And one now I have in a kind of like a waist, a waist high um urn at the back door. And it's absolutely gorgeous with big, elegant fronds coming out of it this morning in the midst of all of the damage. Yeah, there are plants that nothing, no amount of rotten weather will 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 batter down. And Francoa is one of those because when you think about it, the leaves are they're they're quite big, but they're crinkled already. Mm. So a bit of battering is not going to crinkle them anymore, and they're low to the ground. So they're not up on tall stalks waiting to be bashed down. Now the flowers are up on tall stalks, but those tall stalks are, they're pretty tough. So if you're in an exposed area, you know, always think twice about the sort of plants that you've decided to bring in. Grasses, grasses with nice um, substantial um, foliage are always a good thing if again you're in an area where you're going to get battered and bruised by the wind think in terms of what will stand up to that wind and it's just Francoa as you said is a, it's a very resilient plant it stays looking good when a lot of things like oh, delphiniums and <laughs> aconites and, and, and those lads are being beaten down lying on the ground help us gladioli it's gorgeous, actually. It's very elegant. A uh, texter is wondering, Shirley, we, you spoke about dahlias and our texter is wondering, is the tuber dahlia different to the seed dahlia? No, no. Um, you, if you plant, if you plant a, a, a seed, a dahlia seed, what the plant that grows up will develop a tuber. So eventually it too will have a tuber, but okay. they, they can start from seeds. Okay. And finally, a texter asks, please ask Shirley Edward, my rosebuds are gone black. Yeah, probably from the 
constant wet rain yuck snip them back to the first set of of of, of healthy leaves in as far as you can if you can get up at it and if we happen to get good weather and if it happens to be a repeat flowering rose which it might be you could get flowers later in the year. There are some rose bushes that literally flower up to December. So if you don't know what it is that you've got, snip back all those dead, mushy, horrible, bald um, buds and fingers crossed and hope for the best. Feed it up. Add on a big pile of farmyard manure around the base of the plant and that'll just give it a boost and get it ready for whatever it might have to deal with in the next few months. That's the panacea for sure. Shirley, we leave it there. Thank you and uh, happy wetish Saturday to you. <laughs> happy Saturday. God bless, Shirley. Thanks. Bye-bye. Uh, that's Shirley Lanigan, our resident gardening expert. A couple of texts in here. Uh, hi, Edward. Could you please mention our memories of our school days in Rahana National School? It's been held on, um, it's been held in Rahana on Sunday, the 13th of August from 10 a.m. until 12 noon. All are welcome to come, teachers and pupils, view photos and videos and a chance to meet old friends. And that's with thanks from the ICA. Uh, ladies as well and uh, also a texter has two tickets for High Kings tonight in Ballykeith they can't go if anyone is looking for those that can give us a shout uh, here as well uh, a texter tells us that there's a big branch down after the rock bar on the bend on the Freshford Road as well so be mindful of that be mindful if you're out driving this morning because it is inclement and it is uh, wild and windy so that is um a tree down a big branch not a tree a big branch but down after the rock bar on the bend at the Freshford Road so be Kuramok for sure now let's take a little suspyog erash e kankupla no maid this Saturday show with Edward Hayden with thanks to Lyrath Estate Kilkenny's luxury hotel perfect for spoiling yourself more details on lyrath.com now good morning <coughs> Excuse me, pardon me. Good morning. You're very welcome back. Edward Hayden here with you on the Saturday show. 0833069696 is contact line as well. I was just telling you before the ad break that the, we had a text to say that there's a big, big branch down after the rock bar on the bend on the Freshford Road. So be careful when driving there. We've also had an update from the council to say that there has been um, some fallen trees and damage on the canal walk and that area is now closed. So um, be careful around that as well. More details in our news bulletin at 11 o'clock with regards to that. But it's a busy weekend, so just be careful on the road. When I was coming this morning, there was uh, a big cycle uh, going on as well and that was being well um, monitored and marshaled as well. So just be careful out on the roads this morning. Also, just before we chat with uh, Rosemary Lachlan, who's heading for Roth House, uh, I just want to remind listeners that uh, today, Saturday the 5th of August, marks the first anniversary of the death of our dearly loved and richly missed Johnny Barry here from this station, uh, the king of the airwaves for sure. And uh, Sunday's uh, 12 noon mass at the Capuchin Friary um, on Friary Street will be dedicated to him. So his anniversary mass takes place tomorrow at the Capuchin Friary um, on Friary Street uh, as well. And um, again, we all miss Johnny really, really, um, really, really badly here at the station. 
because he brought such great joy not only to uh, the staff here but to all of the listeners over the years and uh, his absence is is well felt isn't it funny I was only listening very very recently I, I occasionally go back onto his YouTube funeral mass um, on online you'll get it on, on the internet as they say and Trudy Lawler sang the most beautiful beautiful song it's 27 minutes in if you go uh, looking for it and um, it's absolutely, it's absolutely gorgeous. Actually, maybe we might be able to try and get that for you uh, along the the morning. I'll, I'll I'll talk nicely to Martin and see if we could we could arrange uh, to kind of snip that song out, and we might play that a little bit later on. About twenty seven minutes into the YouTube. Um, funeral mass, Trudy Lawler sings a song and we might try and get that to you as well. But that's our, our dearly loved uh, Johnny Barry. Let's head over to the telephone line because Rosemary Lockton is on it and she's going to tell us all about Shakespeare. Rosemary, good morning to you. Good morning, Edward. Lovely to speak with you this morning. Well, it's absolutely gorgeous to speak to you as well. And I'm really looking forward to chatting because you're heading this evening to Roth House. You're going to host uh, your one-woman show, A Rose by Any Other Name, uh, which is an intriguing look at Shakespeare, the, 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 the details of the show tell me. Uh, you have a kind of a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a bone to, to pluck with uh, Shakespeare. I, I do, Edward. It's Shakespeare with a twist. And um, I suppose the twist um, is the looking at who is behind the name William Shakespeare. Um, so as a bit of background, I studied acting, um, amateur dramatics as an adult. And um, I won around 2008, I saw a fantastic production of Julius Caesar. And I became really interested in learning how to perform Shakespeare. So I was learning to perform Shakespeare, knowing nothing really about the author except what I'd learned in school. He was born in Stratford-upon-Avon. He was supposed to have gone to the grammar school, all of that. And um, I came across um, a documentary about 2013, and it proposed that uh, the author, that there was a huge question mark over the author. And I started investigating, and um, I came to my own views, and the show looks at all of that uh, this evening. Okay, and you're kind of thinking that perhaps it's a pseudonym. Am I correct? Exactly. That, that, that's it. Uh, so the name William Shakespeare is, I would argue, um, is a pen name for Edward de Vere, the Earl of Oxford. And the man from Stratford-upon-Avon, he actually had a different surname. He was Will Shakespeare. So his name was always Shakespeare. He never spelt it any differently and no one ever referred to him as Shakespeare. And the name Shakespeare burst onto the scene in 1593 um, in the long poem Venus and Adonis. And this was this brilliantly written poem coming out of nowhere with the name William Shakespeare um, attached to us. So, yes, so that's what it's all about. How interesting. How interesting indeed. Come here, I tell you, I've had a good good old goo through the social media and looked at at all of the pictures and you you look uh, very Lady Macbeth-like in the the photos in in, in preparation for the show. Tell me if you can, uh, Rosemary, without giving too much away, can you tell me the construct of the show and how it has been uh, put together? Is there kind of excerpts? Is there some of the Shakespearean language? Is it kind of delivered in um, a kind of a lecture style format? Or what? Uh, what is the construct of the show? Well, it's a bit of a mix, 
um, Edward. So um, primarily it's um, a personal journey. Um, my story, my story of my journey with Shakespeare. So I talk about my childhood. I talk about learning Shakespeare, um, what, what Shakespeare means to me. And um, I also then have little excerpts from uh, Shakespeare monologues um, over the years that I've learned. And I weave that in then to the story. Um, and then because I'm talking about something that I suppose is not very well known, the whole authorship question and who Edward de Vere at the Earl of Oxford is, um, there are little snippets of the show that are in a kind of an exposition format, you know, to telling the audience a little bit about the background of Edward de Vere. Um, and then there's me on my journey acting out you know, my surprise and delight at uh, seeing all the discoveries that, that I came across along the way. There's something, <coughs> excuse me, there's something so wonderfully rich about the language, though, isn't there? I'm, I'm thinking back for either, um, for leaving cert, I would have studied King Lear and some of the lines can still come to me that, that are kind of bet into us, you know, for, uh, for quotations and thinking of, you know, Lear talking about Goneril and Cordelia and Regan and saying how much, it, how, how something it is to have a thankless child, you know, the language is, is, is very rich and, and very evocative and in a lot of ways, uh, quite relatable to modern times. Oh, absolutely. And not only are we still using his language, the terms that that he coined, but it's his philosophical insights that are so profound. And um, we all had those kind of quotes from whatever play we studied in school almost, you know, beaten into us. And we remember them, but we draw on them then when something happens in life that really impacts us. We go to Shakespeare to, to find that wisdom, to find those words that can exemplify in beautiful language what's going on in that situation. For sure. Can I throw a blanket of judgment at you, uh, Rosemary, uh, if you don't mind? Because your, your day, your day job, if you like, the day gig is uh, a lawyer. So you're a Dublin based lawyer and actor. It's, it's like a kind of an un, an unhappy, they're like as if they would be unhappy bedfellows. Tell me, how do they, how do they marry together for you? Well, it's so funny you should ask that, Edward, because there were times when I thought they were unhappy bedfellows. Um, the law, uh, you know, as you know, it's so kind of intellectual. You're in your head. You're constantly mm. analysing. You're looking at evidence and then acting. It's so different. You're asking someone to believe. Senses. Yes, you're creating something new. You're in your imagination. Um, and I did actually think for many years, like, oh, God, I wish I'd done acting instead of law. But um, with um, Shakespeare and um, looking at the authorship question, I realised that the actual tools and skills that I had developed in examining evidence were really useful in tackling the whole question of Shakespeare authorship and in looking back at the evidence, the original source evidence from the 1590s as to how the name was created and what people were saying at the time about Edward de Vere being um, a hidden writer. Um, it was really, I, I realised that what what was in my life that I thought wasn't me actually was very much me um, and that those skills that I had learned through law were, were so useful and beneficial for this um, looking at this question. Oh, interesting. It, it's, it's fascinating. When I was reading about it during the week, I was, I was really fascinated. Has any heft been given to your contention, uh, Rosemary? 
has any what? Sorry, has, has any heft or any credence been given to it by 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 others in the kind of the in the world of literature, or are the kind of the 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 family of uh, Edward Devere are they going to be uh, uh, up in court against you? Are you going to need to exercise <laughs> your uh, your legal uh, basis? Well, listen, I does anyone agree I with you? I suppose is the coarse way of asking yeah. the question. Well. There, there are many Oxfordians, which is the term used to describe someone who advocates for Edward de Vere, um, and it's um, a burgeoning movement. And if I can give a plug to a brilliant book that has just come out, um, written by an, an American journalist called Elizabeth Winkler, W-I-N-K-L-E-R, and she wrote a book looking at the whole history of this uh, debate. Uh, it's called Shakespeare Was a Woman and Other Heresies. And um, the Oxfordian movement, which would be um, the biggest movement. Um, so what we would say as Oxfordians is that the greatest weight of evidence would um, be for the Earl of Oxford being um, Shakespeare. So there's huge literature. When you start delving into it, you see um, how much. So, for example, if one looks up the De Vere Society uh, website and the Shakespeare Oxford Fellowship website, one sees the slew of um, academic writing um, on this on this topic. Well, it's absolutely fascinating and people can get more details and more insight uh, into it tonight uh, in Roth House, uh, Saturday the 5th of August at 7 o'clock, a rose by any other name. It's directed by Andrew Deering and uh, performed by your very good self. Tickets are available uh, on Eventbrite um, for only 10 or 12 euro dependent on uh, what category. Uh, it's it's really interesting. It's very nice chatting with you this morning, Rosemary, and uh, best of luck with the show this evening. Thank you so much, Edward. And just to say, tickets will be available at the door as well this evening. Lovely. So come on down is the message. Absolutely. It's for everyone. Whether you're interested in Shakespeare or not, you're going to enjoy this show. You commit yourself into the hands of one who loves you not. Isn't that it? Take care, Rosemary. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. All likewise, likewise. Rosemary Lachlan, they're telling us all about her contention with regard to uh, Shakespeare. <laughs> So, um, yeah, pop down to Roth House tonight and, of course, a full suite of events always happening in the beautiful Roth House and the Roth House, uh, Roth House Gardens um, as well. Now, keep the text coming in to us, 083-306-9696. It is indeed our dinnersready.ie contact line. Anish, thus, thus, Bjog. This Saturday show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyrath Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on Lyrath.com. Now, it's off all cheer. Ash Edward Hayden here. 0833069696 is our dinnersready.ie contact line, reminding you to be careful out and about uh, this morning. Uh, a branch down um, near the Rock Bar at the Freshford Road also reports in with regard to the canal walk being closed as a result of overnight damage as well. So just be careful um, this morning. It's a busy weekend, of course, with it being a bank holiday. So take a little bit of extra care. Now, I'm delighted to be joined on the telephone line by Bishop Dennis Nolte, Bishop of Kildare in Lachlan, who yesterday celebrated his 10th anniversary uh, of the ordination as Bishop of Kildare and Lachlan. And we've invited him on to join in the celebrations and to let you know of um, a special um, ecclesiastical celebration that's taking place tomorrow in Carlow Cathedral. Bishop, good morning to you. Good morning, Edward, and good morning to your listeners. Lovely always to join with you on this damp, 
Carlo morning. That doesn't look like August at all, I can tell you. But there you are. It's, Hopefully it will improve later. It certainly, it certainly doesn't. Um, actually, take us back, Bishop, um, if you will, to, to the, to the uh, ordination 10 years ago. Congratulations, uh, first and foremostly. Can you recall the day? What was it like on that day? What were the climate conditions like on that day 10 years ago? The, the climate conditions were very, very good that day. In fact, uh, I'll take even two, uh, seven, eight weeks, nine weeks earlier in May when I was announced as bishop. It, it was a very bad spell of spring weather. There was a fodder crisis across the country. And it was the first decent day. I remember that very well in May. But the August bank holiday weekend was a good weekend, good weather, 2013. And we were able to, like the cathedral was packed to capacity. And we had a reception in, in Carlo College St. Patrick's afterwards. And people were able to get up there, no problem at all. Good weather, lovely for Portugal's outside, mixing and mingling. Bank holiday weekend, a lovely, a lovely memory and very special for me and hopefully for many. For sure. How has your uh, world changed in the last 10 years? I presume, you know, when any of us are heading into any job as well prepared as we might be, you know, when we get in there, the kind of the job is, is very much different and very more nuanced than perhaps we would have imagined. 10 years on, um, what, what are you thinking about the role or has the role changed? Indeed. Well, it certainly has. I think in, in more recent times, the COVID pandemic has certainly mm. changed how we do things. Sadly, so at times, Edward, in the holding of, of, of public worship. And I'm still working hard at, at engaging people, returning to public worship in, 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 in good numbers and trying our best to maybe re-engage with young people. I'm conscious this very weekend is, is World Youth Day in Lisbon. And the, 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 the role of young people in our church is a critical role. role. And it's, it's one which I have strong emphasis on. And maybe it's, it's, it's one we need to, to put even more emphasis on into the future. That's a very big one. COVID certainly, I think, maybe, maybe disengaged some young people from, from, from church. It's hard to get them in the simple ways of even serving mass, get them back into a practice of doing things. So we need to work hard at that. I think house visitation, I remember as a priest in Drogheda, it was quite common to go house visitation door to door. Now, that pretty much is unheard of because you just simply can't knock on someone's door unannounced. It's, it's, it's not done. There's a change way of doing things now. We've got to link in with people. The synodal process is huge at the moment in church. Again, looking at how we are church, how we are present to one another, and it's not about an event. It's about, in some ways, a way of being church. So there's a lot of things that are different from 2013. But still, the motto I chose 10 years ago, serve the Lord with gladness, is the one I absolutely do my best to live every day. I believe the greatest gift any of us can be, particularly in church, is to be present with people and to serve them and to be with them in their high points, the great moments of celebration, like confirmation, like sacramental moments, like graduations, like all those moments that are terribly, like, like, like young people, graduate John Paul II, Mel, all these other great moments. But equally, in the, most, the more difficult moments of tragedy, like we saw in Monaghan during the week, like we remember in Carlo in 2015, where four girls died in St. Leo's in an accident, very tough time. Mm. Again, you try your best to be present with people at those difficult times. Absolutely, and support them along the way. Uh, you get about, of course, as well, uh, Bishop. My mother met you very recently in Knock at Grandparents' Day, which she spoke very fondly of the homily there. Events like that um, are important because they're kind of a, a gathering where people are coming together in communion, aren't they? 
Hugely. And grandparents have a critical role, I think, today in church because grandparents are ones who understand their faith very, very well. And they have an absolutely lovely link with their grandchildren. I see, uh, you know, my, 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 my brother's family and, uh, if you like, particularly my oldest brother who has, who has grandchildren. The link they have with their grandparents is they would tell their grandparents things they would never tell their parents. So there's a certain link there, uh, like the Vodafone ad or the, one of the, the telephone companies. Again, they show that lovely link where you'll tell your grand something yeah. you wouldn't dare tell your mother or father. They'll cover for you. They'll look after you. They'll be there for you. And I, I love that celebration. I, I, I celebrated that and it was lovely to meet your mum there because it, it, of my role with the Bishop's Conference. Not only are you Bishop in the diocese, but you have a role in the conference and I look after the area of marriage and family. And part of that is, is grandparents and that, that whole link and relationship. So I was glad to be in Knock last Sunday week. Absolutely. And how does that conference deal with, you know, I suppose the change in, in the family unit? And the family unit now is, is uh, very much a, a hybrid mix of, of, of everything, isn't it? How is that is uh, negotiated, Bishop? I, I suppose what I do is I invite different groups to come in and talk to me about, you know, their experience of family. And, uh, you know, in, in recent times, I would have had a family network come to talk to me about the difficulties of, of addiction in family life mm-hmm. and the, the, the hardships of, 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 of where young people are imprisoned and, and how there's a separation from family there. I've, I've, I've met people from the LGBT community, again, to talk about their experience of family and in some ways their experience of church and trying our best to link in different ways. Equally, uh, people who, who have, have special needs or, you know, uh, have a particular disability that, again, we're there to try our best to, to understand the wider context of these things. It's all learning. You know, yeah. the church doesn't have all the answers, but we have very much a listening ear. And that's very important. Absolutely. There's so much complexities in, 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 in any family unit now, isn't there? And people uh, battling different, different issues. Uh, Bishop, back Absolutely. to your own celebrations. Talk to me. There is a special mass um, uh, tomorrow evening in Carlow Cathedral at 7 p.m. And uh, all people, religious clergy and uh, general public are invited to attend that. What will be happening at that or how is the celebration uh, being formatted? Edward, there's nothing more than I enjoy the celebration with people. The highlight for me every year is our chrism gatherings where the whole diocese come together. This has been arranged by, 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 by the, 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 the Dawson Council of Priests and the Dawson Pastor Council of the Diocese have organised this. I haven't. So they've gone for 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. It's, I told them we'd have a very a gathering. I would celebrate Mass and we look forward to having a cup of tea in the parish centre afterwards with everybody. So it's really a very straightforward celebration. But equally, I'm aware it's, it's marking a moment. But, the, the, you know, we're, we're on a journey. There's an awful lot more to do. Uh, and we, we continue that journey together. But it's certainly recognising the moment. And more importantly for me, recognise the people who've been extremely helpful to me on that journey and extremely encouraging and have, have given the diocese great life, great hope, great vitality. Indeed. Uh, well, Bishop, uh, as I said, congratulations. Before I conclude, um, I must uh, ask what's the, the plan for the next 10 years, 10 years now uh, under your, your, your belt in the role. Um, your plans for the future? My plan would be to continue as I am, because I think being present with people and present with parishes is critical for me. Uh, in the immediate short term, uh, we have a, a very strong presence at the ploughing in September. Look forward very much to that. We have continued engagement with the, the Diocesan Pastoral Council, which is, consists of, of lay people led by lay people, with religious and priests. We have our council of priests, and we're engaging in, in the future process of structures in our diocese, looking at parishes, 
looking at how they're managed, looking at how they, how they work into the future. That will be a very big discussion into the autumn and into the coming year and the coming years indeed. And obviously continuing my best to engage with, 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 with people in different ways and supporting the wonderful priests, uh, you know, who uh, obviously, you know, in trying my best to encourage vocations because the average name, the average age gets a little bit older so I'm conscious that, that I cannot be weighing so much administration on the on the on, on the on the backs of our priests. We have to share that out corresponsibly with lay people. So trying to get that message out there as best I can. Indeed. I also appreciate KCLR were really very good during the COVID times, and many people will, will say that to me how the masses broadcast. I don't think that will ever be forgotten because I don't think no any other local radio station did that. So well done to to the. John and the team at Casey Law for that facility. I appreciate that. I know that Archbishop Dermot now in Dublin very much did as well as the people of Oxford and Kildare and Lockton did. For sure. Bishop, uh, before I let you go, as always, for those for whom it may be important, you might give a, a special blessing um, at your time of celebration. Absolutely. And, and, and the blessing prayer I'm just using is, is an adapted one uh, from Pope Benedict's uh, words before the relics of John Vianney because I was ordained bishop on the feast of St. John Vianney. O Lord Jesus, grant that through the intercession of the, the Curie of ours, St. John Vianney, Christian families and all of us may become little churches in which the vocations and charisms given by the Holy Spirit may be always welcomed and valued. And may Almighty God bless all of you who are with us this morning, the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Bishop Dennis Nolte, thanks so much for joining us and congratulations. Enjoy your celebration thanks. weekend and continue good work for your ministry. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Good morning. Uh, now, that's Bishop Dennis Nolte. Let's take a break and a little uh, musical uh, treat of memory for you just after this. KCLR. Now, uh, good morning. You're very welcome back. As I said to you uh, a little bit earlier on, uh, today, Saturday the 5th of August, marks the first anniversary of our dearly missed Johnny Barry here from this station. Tomorrow, his anniversary mass will take place at the Capuchin Friary on Friary Street uh, at 12 noon. Trudy Lawler sang a most beautiful uh, number uh, the day of um, Johnny's funeral, uh, just before the offertory procession. And in his memory... I bring this to you now, after which we'll be going over to an ad break and to Ethna in the newsroom. And I'll see you the other side of uh, 11. Um, so a little bit late to Ethna. Apologies to Brown Arm. But for now, here's a special musical memory for Johnny Barry from Trudy Lawler. <laughs>
Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on lyrath.com. Now, Gormila Makoth, Ethna Rasharish, Ramanle with Nuukth Arish. Good morning. You're very welcome back. If you've just joined us here on KCLR, you're very welcome to the Saturday show with me, Edward Hayden, 0833069696, our dinnersready.ie contact line. Uh, lots still to come in this hour of the show, including uh, details on the Innistig Vintage Rally. And we're going to be closing out this morning with Andy Clark, uh, known to you all from uh, ITV TV. And uh, he's going to be giving us some cocktails Tales to ease us gently uh, into the bank holiday weekend. Um, a text there um, that was sent in for the Bishop didn't come in in time, but we'll get to that in just a few moments time. Bishop Dennis Nulty joined us um, ahead of his 10th anniversary celebrations of his ordination of the, as the Bishop of Kildare in Lachlan. But before all of that, let's go over to our telephone line. We're joined on it by Zoe Holohan. Uh, Zoe is author of As the Smoke Clears and uh, she's joining us to discuss the recent spate of wildfires in Greece. Uh, listeners to this show may remember we spoke to Zoe um a while ago in relation to uh, wildfires that took place in Greek, uh, Greece and unfortunately uh, resulted in the death of her beloved husband, Brian O'Callaghan Westrup, um, days after they had got married. Let's go to the line. Zoe, good morning to you. Good morning, Edward. How are you? I'm very good, Zoe, and thanks for taking the time to uh, to chat with us this morning. Um, we we appreciate it on on this wet morning. So um, thank you for for doing so. Um, I, I thought I'd woken up in the wrong season. <laughs> <laughs> I'm even wearing a jumper. I can't believe what's going on out there. But anyway. Well, listen, I have two umbrellas at home, parasols outside, and I, I'd say they could be about a mile down the road at this stage because I left them in a, in a state of unrest uh, this morning. So it certainly isn't as we would like it uh, to be. Yeah. Zoe, um, 
Listen, where do we start with Zoe Holohan? But let's just start as a, a, a with a brief reminder, because as I said, we had a, a lovely chat a, a while ago in relation to uh, the death of Brian. I mean, the worst tragedy of all um, visited your life, really. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's kind of hard to believe it's five years on now. So um, even though I'm complaining about the August weather here in Ireland, I really mm. shouldn't because I'm so relieved to have got through July. Mm. July is 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 the, a tricky month for me. Let's put it that way. It's an emotionally volatile month. Um, so this year um, I had the fifth anniversary or what should have been our fifth wedding anniversary on the 19th, followed very swiftly by Brian's death anniversary on the 23rd. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, as you can imagine, it's, it's, it's always a difficult mm-hmm. month and it's one that I kind of face with dread. Of course. Um, but this year, this year was, was, was quite a good month, I think, from the perspective of um, I spent some, some lovely time down with Brian's favourite people in Clare, in Shannon, which was his hometown. And uh, for his anniversary in particular, we celebrated his life as opposed to mourning his death. So that, you know, that... That was good. Yeah. Um, all things considered, yeah. How so do you five, how, how do you kind of um, you know lots of people you know deal with death and deal with bereavement in 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 very different ways. Albeit that 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 Brian's death was in such tragic circumstances, and as I said, just a, a very handful of of weeks after your after your wedding. Five years on, Zoe, what do you think of it all now, you know, in terms of the rawness, you know, how do you feel now as as uh, Brian's, you know, surviving wife? Well, it was actually only four days after we married that Brian was killed, so it wasn't even a space okay. of weeks. And as you know, there was a certain period of time, a long period of time, which I spent in hospital. That's so right. Just to kind of remind people what happened, we were over in, in Massey in Greece um, for our honeymoon and we both got caught up in these horrendous wildfires and um, Brian died, uh, along with 103 other people. The, the count has recently increased to 104 in total that died on that day. Um, so, and a, a huge volume of people were like me who were very severely burned. I guess in a weird way, you might say I'm one of the lucky ones in that, although I don't often feel very lucky, but in that I survived tremendous injuries where the majority of people that suffered severe burns, third and fourth degree burns like I had done, didn't survive. So I got very, very good medical care, both in Greece and both in, both in Greece and Ireland. So on that basis, I, I was, I was blessed, I could say. Um, but it was a major struggle. I had, you know, sepsis. I had multiple organ failure. There was a long period of time that I spent in hospital. The reason I'm going into that is because of that, because all of my energy was focused on physical recovery, um, I didn't really get to even acknowledge the grief, the level and the depths of grief until I left hospital, and that would have been the winter. So that would have been you know, towards the end of the year of 2018. Um, so uh, it, that, that became like a bit of a ticking time bomb, to be honest with you, because I hadn't had time to focus on emotionally what had occurred in my life. Everything was about survival, learning how to walk and talk and use my hands again, etc. So uh, as you can imagine, that takes an awful lot of energy and um, would absorb all of my time. So when I came home, that was that was when I had to really face the grief. And I also lost my father three days or three weeks after Brian passed away. So 
and there was a huge amount of grief to contend with. So now, now we're five years on, and uh, you know things have changed dramatically since that period of time. Obviously, for sure, uh, your own physical physical illness, of course, you know, and and physical ailments were, as you said, very severe. You know, spending mm-hmm. that that time uh, in in Greece and then in, in Ireland. I'm sure that recovery, you know, took every ounce of, of energy. Did you, when you came home then, how do you kind of, you know, when you're sitting back in your own sitting room or your own kitchen or, or, or wherever you were, how do you kind of, or how did you process uh, Brian's death? Or do you believe that you have even begun that process yet, Zoe? Oh, I definitely think I've, I've, I've begun it. I mean, I know he's, he's, he's not here anymore. Mm. And as I said to you, I'm, I'm, Happy to say, I'm I'm at a position now, or at a stage in life, where I can celebrate the good parts, you know, and all the wonderful times we had, and not focus on the bad. you know the horrible end that you know was brought to him. So, um, and I I think that that's very important, but that takes a, a long time to get to that. Anybody who's suffered from sudden bereavement will understand exactly what I'm talking about, and anybody, in fact, who's lost anybody they love, will will understand that. Um, there's no set of rules here. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no guidebook to carry you through grief. Everybody will do it in their own way. But you you really do require quite a lot of time to get your head around, um, particularly this, this type of tragedy. I know that Brian would want me to keep moving forward, and I'm doing the best that I can. I'm doing this from a, a physical perspective and from a mental health perspective. Um, I was gifted with a rather marvellous therapist, Edward, so you'd be glad to hear that. Um, I wouldn't be even talking to you today, to be yeah. honest with you, if I hadn't had a bucket load of therapy. And uh, she really was phenomenal and worked with me intensively over a period of about three years. So that helped with the grief um, hugely. So and you were well supported. I mean, I got the most unbelievable support from St. James's Hospital here in Dublin and continue. By the way, I've continued support because we're still working on certain areas of my body um, from fire damage, from scars. So I'm still getting lasering done on my legs and there, there may be further surgeries as well to come. So it's, look, it's a long process when you, when you have injuries such as I've had with, with burns. So there's no, unfortunately, there's no magic wand to make everything heal and, and disappear. So, um, but yeah, I, all I can say is I have just had the finest care and continue. They're an amazing team in the Burns unit in particular oh. in James's school. Um, yeah, I'm lucky to have them on my side. Well, that's so great uh, to hear. Um, I presume, Zoe, that this summer, and I know you've spoken uh, to a number of the newspapers and radios about it, this summer was uh, extra trying because of the stories of the wildfires that raged across mm. several cities in Greece um, as mm. well. And there was lots of, you know, stories coming about about people taking risks and, you know, there was the kind of the, the debate, will I go on the holiday or not? And all of that sort of, you know, uh, minutiae that can happen around something like this. But I presume you were kind of, you know, sitting in, in, in a state of shock thinking, you know, deja vu potential. Well, there was literally no escape from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even before we were seeing the images on our news, um, I was being contacted by people over in Greece 
I have a wonderful support network over there and um, I'm involved in, in a large court case over there regarding what happened in Massey mm-hmm. five years ago. So there would be, you know, strong connects, let's put it that way, particularly, say, with the man who saved my life, Manus Aliagos, and his family and uh, a number of other survivors, survivor groups over there. So there were discussions ongoing in advance of the images, as I said, that we saw on the news. And yeah, I I literally couldn't take my eyes off the TV and obviously I was horrified. First of all, my heart breaks for the people of Rhodes because, I mean, these fires are absolutely devastating. You know, we we look at, obviously, the first thing I look at is the the, the body count or the the human life count and, and... Okay, two people we know were killed in in the fires in Evia. Um, As far as we know, nobody else um, lost their life, thank goodness. But, you know, your your livelihood is destroyed. Their homes have been destroyed. Their farmland has been destroyed. So the toll of this is just extraordinary. And, And yet I couldn't, I honestly could not believe that people were choosing to go to certain, now I'm not talking, Rhodes is, you know, is a large enough island and there were areas that were totally untouched. I'm talking about the areas that were clearly, I suppose you could say fire torn. And yet people were still insisting on going in and I couldn't understand why you would take that risk. Surely your life is worth more than a week or two holiday. Look, I get it. We're all uh, post-COVID. We're all gagging to go away. Yeah, we're mad for road. And and in particular, by the way, you know, considering what would the sort of July we had, I get it. I get it. You know, we were all looking for a little bit of sunshine. But um, I just, yeah, I, I really couldn't understand that people weren't weighing up the risks. And I know certain people that did fly in and then flew straight into an evacuation centre. A school, and that's where they spent their holiday until they could get out again. And I couldn't understand where they weren't taking the warning seriously, or at least looking at the footage. And you can't always necessarily say, "Well, the government should have said this, or the mm-hmm. travel companies should have said that." At the end of the day, we 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 have to make these decisions, sensible decisions for ourselves. And surely staying so, at surely sitting at, at at home and taking a lie on, and then hopping into your car and heading on a day trip and having fish and chips on the way home would have been much more pleasant than what they experienced. And safer. Yeah, and safer. Look, I know I'm looking at this from the extreme angle. Okay, I understand that because of what happened to me from coming from this country is unusual. And, and, you know, we had a lot of fires last year, but thankfully nobody was was ever killed in them, you know. But it's it's hard. Look, the, the climate is changing, clearly. We're seeing it all over the world. And I'm just asking people to just apply a little bit of caution to their decision-making when when they are travelling. Um, and, yeah, I was absolutely horrified. It's not just roads as well. Evia was uh, was very badly damaged. Mm-hmm. And all over Greece, there were fires all over Greece um, over the last few weeks. So, you know, God help them is all I can say. Absolutely, and hope that that will, that will uh, clear up uh, clear up soon without without tragedy for, for more people. So when we last spoke, you had just written the book um, As the Smoke mm-hmm. Clears and it was just coming out and it, it came out uh, in fairness to, to great acclaim and so many people were, were touched by it and humbled by, you know, the invitation that you gave them to, to, to join in your journey or to kind of to hear all about your experience. Um, did the book help you? Was it a good process for you? It, it was absolutely wonderful. It opened up 
so many doors and, and new pathways in my life that I couldn't possibly have imagined. Um, from from the process of writing the book, clearly that was very cathartic for me. In mm. fact, I really didn't have a choice in the matter because as soon as my hands started working again when I came back from hospital, roughly around December, it was shortly after Brian's memorial. So we had Brian's memorial on the 1st of December. And then I just felt this outpouring um, and I, I didn't know where to put all of these emotions, so I just started to type. Now, by the way, I'm a pretty lousy typist at the best of times. <laughs> Are you a one finger girl? <laughs> <laughs> two, two fingers. So, oh, yeah, listen, listen, you're practically proficient. <laughs> Fasting <laughs> two fingers in town. But, um, so I was tip tapping away here with the right hand initially. But once I started to write, I had to get it all out. And I realized that, you know, look, there, there was nothing short of a miracle that I survived. I really shouldn't have lived. In all honesty, I shouldn't have survived the fire in the first place. Um, only that Manus carried me from the boot of that burning car seconds from death. It was assumed I was dead, only my right eye flickered. Are you glad you survived, Zoe? Well, there are times when I wasn't, and the majority of the time I am. But look, that's 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 a complicated question. Yeah. Ask me that on a bad day, and you'll get a different yeah. answer. Um, you you know, it, it it really depends on how I've woken up that morning. Um, but look, for yes, of course, I'm 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 glad I survived. I'm also very grateful to all the people that put a hell of a lot of energy into not only putting my body back together but my mind together too. Mm. So you know, a lot of people invested a lot of kindness and care and attention to keeping me alive. So I feel I'd be very ungrateful if I, you know, didn't register that fact. Um. But the book, just to get back to the book, yeah, look, the book was fun. Do you know what the most touching thing about publishing that book was? Yeah, it was great. It went to number one and that was that was fantastic. But that didn't really register with me. What did was the volume, the sheer volume of letters and messages that came from people all over the country and from all different walks of life. And we're not just talking about women because people automatically assume it's only going to be the women they're going to write yeah. to the female writer. But that really wasn't the case. Um, it was men and women from all over and all they wanted to do was talk about how they processed either severe illness or bereavement or just major life changes. And, you know, you, you realise everybody has something, Edward. Everybody has something. Nobody gets through this life without the odd curveball. And some of us are pummeled by those curveballs like I was, but, you know, other people manage to get through fairly unscathed but everybody has something and it opened up this whole world to me of communication with total strangers it was rather beautiful and you know you have to realise it's very humbling when somebody will open up and talk about really really hard things and admit that they've no one else to talk to sometimes they don't want to burden their family members or their friends I understand what that feels like by the way Mm -hmm. because you keep a lot of this stuff inside and so the conversations, I've had some very, very special conversations with some amazing warriors um, down through the years. And that all started from from the book. And that really, do you know what, that kind of gave me the impetus on really bad days to keep going. I'm sure. It was a real gift. 
real gift. And to help so many people in that regard, a texter actually sums it up here better than I could. Um, Gillian has texted us and she said, oh my God, Edward, I read Zoe's book, cried through most of it, but what an inspiration she is. The very best of wishes to her. And I think many people had that experience, you know, as I said, you gave us an invitation to kind of, you know, hear the kind of the, 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 the really, harsh details of, of that experience in your life and, and, you know, an invitation that people immerse themselves in and learned from and, and it, it offered healing to many as well who, who, uh, as you said, were on different journeys, but also uh, in a, in a period of crisis. Thank you. And you know what? There were some naughty, funny bits in the book too. Well, naughty, funny is always, is always good. Well, listen, what I'm hearing from what I'm, what you're telling me, Zoe, is that you're in, you're in not too bad an order. You're in a good, you're in a good place at the minute. And that's really good to hear because I think you're uh, amazing. I've been following your, your journey since it became uh, public. And I, I just think you're, you're super and, and so good to share all of your details with people. I also really appreciate the continued support of, of readers and, and people that follow my column. And, you know, it, it means more to me than I can possibly relay here, to be honest with you. So it's what keeps me going. So thank you. Well, you're thank well you for all of that. You're well thought of. So nice to chat with you and touch base with you again. We wish you well. And um, I'm looking out the window here. I'd love to tell you go out and hit the deck chair, but I'd be more inclined to tell you to turn on Netflix and make a mug of coffee and pull the duvet up from the bed because it's that kind of a day. You definitely wouldn't want to sit on my, my deck chair right now. It's looking grand and bedraggled out there. So it'll be Netflix, all right. Netflix. After KCLR, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you, Zoe, and good morning and good wishes to you. Take care. Thank you, Edward. Bye-bye now. Now, Zoe Holohan there, author of As the Smoke Clears, um, talking to us about um, the death of her husband five years ago and also in relation to the recent spate of fires that were taking place as well. Now, um, a texter, now I have to say I wasn't familiar, I didn't see this now, so I'll have to uh, bow to the, the knowledge of my good friend Anne on High Street, uh, who says, Edward, I wonder did any of your listeners watch RTE programme during the week? And Dr Noel Brown, what an amazing person he was. We will never see the likes again, how badly he was treated by the church and the state. Uh, it would be a nice gesture, says Anne, in remembering him by naming the new children's hospital after him. Um, and that's with thanks from Anne. Another texter, just before I go to the ad break, um, uh, sent the message after the bishop had, le- had left. I'm not sure if the bishop had the answer. I certainly don't have the answer and I'm not sure who does, but I think the text is, is well worthy of the airwaves. So our texter says, Hello Edward, please ask the bishop, why does he think people get struck down with serious illness? My friend has cancer, a simple, good living, hard working man. All he wants in this world is to work, rear his children and watch them grow up. He's suffering at the moment with cancer. Why did and does this happen? Can he explain? And as I said, I'm not sure if that answer was with anyone's gift, but um, the text had come in a little bit late. But all we can do this morning is uh, is wish wish that man well. And um, I'm sure his your friendship will be um, a consolation to him. Now, let's take a break and we're going to chat all things in a Stieg Vintage Rally um, after this break. Stay with us. 
This Saturday show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyreth Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on Lyreth.com. KCLR. There you have it. It's like the gremlins are in the system with that. <laughs> KCLR, indeed. And you're very welcome back. Lovely to have you with us here on this uh, oh, mucky and murky Saturday morning. But anyway, listen, we're hoping for um, all good things at the Innistig Vintage Rally. So let's head over to the telephone line. We're joined by uh, PRO of the Innistig Vintage Rally, David Woods, to tell us all about the 29th uh, rally. David, good morning to you. Good morning, Edward. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. A pleasure to do so, and thanks for for taking the time. Um, the the festival weekend now, which has turned into a weekend, is um, happening this weekend, uh, today and uh, tomorrow. So tell us what's happening today, um, the 5th of August, David. All right. Well, today we actually have... Well, today isn't actually the start, but we had uh, oat cutting with some old machinery from the 1930s on Thursday night. Oh, and that's preparation to get oats for the trashing demonstration on Sunday. So because we are a vintage and heritage type uh, organisation. So today um, we have a tractor run coming in from Monahone, that sleeve uh, Naman uh, tractor uh, club, have a tractor run in. They'll come in through Thomastown. Um, they'll get here around quarter to six and they assemble outside the village and then there's a parade through the village across the bridge and into Crow Island. And that sort of kicks off the weekend for us. Lovely. Um, it's a small event on the Saturday, but it, it, it's the starting event. Indeed. And of course, the event proper starts tomorrow at 12 o'clock. And that's what we all know and uh, and love. This is the kind of the the, the large scale event, if you like, with all of the other uh, yes. serving as a, a nice preamble to that. So tell us what's happening then tomorrow at 12 o'clock, because maybe some of our listeners may never have been and they may be unfamiliar with kind of the eclectic offerings of a vintage rally. So set out your stall, David. Oh, certainly. Thank you. Um, so basically, yes, you would have vintage cars, tractors, farm equipment and we have a threshing uh, demonstration which is I really enjoyed this type of thing because it's really shown how our grandparents would have farmed and how they would have the machines they would have worked with so the, the heritage side of it is big but of course we've expanded it over the years to make it a field day so it's a, it's a good very much old fashioned field day where we will have camogie and hurling underage matches just to get kids out and enjoying the day. We have um, a tea tent, a music stage, where we'll have music all afternoon, some very good bands for entertainment. We have a very good, very well-attended dog show. So that starts at 2 o'clock. And that's highly contested um, normally, isn't it? Oh, my word, it is. That would have a very big draw. Of course, people, the way people are with uh, their pets now, they're very proud of their animals. And um, and we would run that without incident. I mean, you get so many dogs in and they're just so well behaved and trained. And um, it's a lovely part of the show. So there'd be dogs of every size, colour, shape, parading around the ring. Um, and that will go on all afternoon. Um there's music, as I said, all through the day uh, with different bands on. 
And then we would have a lot of um, family entertainment type of stuff as well. There's uh, the hang tough for Marlon's fittest family type of thing, so you can test your strength. There's a hurling challenge, uh, a welly thrown competition, uh, merry-go-round, rodeo ball, bouncy castle. Um, uh, and then, of course, we have an old-fashioned um, tea tent, so you can get your tea and hand sandwiches. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much what we have going on all through the day. It's great. Probably a lot of things I'm forgetting about, but... Uh, you'll get, so you'll get a series of texts, no doubt, after the interview to say, you should have said this. But of course, <laughs> uh, what, what really impresses me from the number of years that I've attended it over the years is that, you know, people who bring along their cars and bring along with great pride and they're all after getting plenty of spit and polish and everything in between to kind of to get them ready and there is uh, great pride with regard to them. Oh, yeah, and it's definitely worthwhile talking to them because it's not just the car coming in to look at. Every one of those cars comes in with a story. And some of them are just so interesting. We had Paddy Knox down with a a tractor a few years ago, and the tractor was older than my my father. It was from 1935, and he had the tax documents for that document. And he said he remembered that uh, tractor coming onto the farm. So there's a big... They're not just machines, they are part of who we are and are growing up in our childhood and they were things that helped people's lives Im- immensely. You know, when you get tractors onto farm, that there was so much more, more work could be done and uh, people's lives improved. So there, there are great backstories to an awful lot of these vehicles. For sure, for sure. Well, listen, people can go along to that, uh, as I said, tomorrow at 12 noon. Uh, just let us know or remind us where that is, uh, David. All right, so it's in Inishtig, uh across the bridge and on Crow Island. Parking is free. Um, adult admission is five euros, which is a very, very good offering. Children are free, free parking. So come along down to Inishtig and... Have a great Sunday afternoon with us. Absolutely. But David, thanks so much for joining us to tell us all about that. And no doubt it will go as well as always uh, for you. But for now, good morning. Thank you very much. And we hope to see you again. There you have it. You'd never know where I could pop up, uh, David, for sure. <laughs> and and just actually, just as I do conclude, conclude, uh, just to remind people that all the proceeds donated are going to the Carlo Kilkenny Home Care team. So that in itself will serve as um, uh, a rationale for many to go. David, best of luck and good morning to you. Um, that's David Woods, their PRO of the Innistig Vintage Rally, telling us all about that. Now, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to chill the glass. I'm going to crush the ice. I'm going to pop the tonic. I'm going to make the berry compote and we'll be back with you just after the break talking to TV's Andy Clark all about cocktails. Fun on show. The Saturday Show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyrath Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on lyrath.com. Now, good morning. You're very welcome back. Edward Hayden here with you on the Saturday show. 0833069696. Keep the texts coming in uh, to us there and we'll get to those uh, a little bit later on and hopefully have a little musical treat for you a little bit later on in the morning. But before all of that, uh, I have a lovely treat for you now because I'm delighted and honoured to be joined on the telephone line by TV's Andy Clark, mixologist and food and drink writer based in the UK, but with uh, good, strong car 
Carlo uh, relations uh, known to you all from Love Your Weekend on TV and of course author of Home Bar uh, which is uh, available in all good bookshops and this is uh, a, a book that we spoke about on the show before uh, celebrating all things cocktails and he is also a judge at the Irish Food Writing Awards again this year so um, he comes to us highly decorated uh, to tell us all about our bank holiday cocktails. Andy, good morning. Greetings from Kilkenny. Hello, Andy. Oh, we've lost Andy there um, at the moment. So let's just try and get him back. Um, I'll just get him back here, perhaps. Now, all these things happen. This is show business. I hope he's after giving, I hope he's after hearing the big intro that I've given him. Um, no doubt he has. Andy, good morning to you. Oh, hello, hello. My, my phone cut out. It's like I dropped it in the cocktail shaker or something. <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> all I can tell you, if you haven't heard it, I've given you an introduction bigger than I'd give Bono. So, um, oh. we're not going to give it a second time, but the public have had it. Well, we, I, I'm very honoured and privileged. So I'm raising my glass to you. That is, I, I, that, that's a, a wonderful thing to hear on a, on a Saturday morning. Yes, my, 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 my phone uh, cut out, but you'd think that I dropped it in the shaker and covered it in gin or something. But I promise you, I did not. Maybe you were on, we the, maybe you were on the gin last night and you had a bit of a shake in the hand yourself. Well, it, well, Friday night's all about letting your hair down and having some fun, isn't it? So I, sure. I did actually. Uh, make some cocktails last night. You will not be surprised to hear. Um, so, uh, so all is good. But, uh, but are you well? Is it, is it as rainy as it is here yes. where you are in the studio, Edward? Yes, it is. I, I'm looking outside now. It's not raining at the minute, but we had, uh, almost a mini tsunami in Kilkenny last night. We've had branches of trees down. We've had trees down. Uh, we've had flowers that have become, uh, completely eviscerated by the, the climate. Oh. So it's shook at the minute. So we're in, we're in the humour for something nice. We mightn't be having oh. our cocktails out on the patio tonight, Auntie, but I think we'll be oh. having them with double measures. Absolutely. I think the funny thing about um, when the weather isn't great, I think you need to bring the sunshine to the party. If it, there's grey clouds outside, it doesn't matter because you, you can, you know, as long as you're smiling and you've got something nice in your glass, and you've got some nice nibbles, it's always a good thing. I always think aim to keep it summery, keep it seasonal. Um, if you're having cocktails or mocktails, I think it's really, really nice to play with the seasons. You know, you eat different things throughout the seasons, don't you? So why not change it up in your glass? And I think uh, that summer, there's so many lovely things. There's so many artisan producers making lovely liqueurs and spirits like, you know, elderflower um, has been and gone. And so people are steeping elderflowers in their gins and their vodkas. And you can make some lovely cocktails with those flavours. And they seem to be in every hedgerow um, around Ireland and the UK definitely so uh, it's always nice Uh, In terms of the prep then Andy what, uh, we'll get into some recipes in a few minutes time but you know for Mm. people who are kind of just starting to kind of to to move away from the kind of the traditional, the gin and tonic or the kind of the Picardian and Coke or the you know vodka and bitter or whatever, what are the bits and pieces that we could kind of start building a cocktail making toolkit from? What should we have in our in our cupboard and on our sideboard? Well, what I would say is always sort of work with what you've got. If you've got a dusty shelf with some bottles that you're not too sure about, have a little Google, have a little look, see what they are. Everybody's got some some Quantro or everybody's got some, I don't know, um, Advocar or something that you're like, oh, I'm not too sure what to do with that. Have a little look what you've got. But if you want basic kit, I always say, 
make sure you've got some nice glassware that makes you smile. You know, yes. we've all got those little bits and bobs. Maybe you've been to a, a little knick-knack shop, a bric-a-brac shop or a charity shop. You've picked up something that's a bit unusual. Dust those off and have them to hand because I think there's something really nice about like, I don't know, having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee out of a favourite mug. And mm-hmm. it's the same with a drink. If you have a really nice glass, Make sure you've got it. Um, and I would say, you know, if you can get yourself a lovely looking cocktail shaker, it's always nice to have on the shelf to, to, to make you smile as you go past thinking, oh, later on, I'm going to use that. So if you've got a cocktail shaker, that's brilliant. There are different styles of shaker. Boston shakers are the ones, you know, when you see in cocktail bars where it's like they've got almost like um, two metal pint glasses that they mm-hmm. shove together and hit. It's and the then the Tom they Cruise one, and isn't it, from cocktail? That's that's it now i you know you and i both do a bit of live television and uh i know that i've used those shakers and sometimes when you shove it on too hard it's hard to get it off again so if you don't want to use those you can google a, a, a cobbler shaker is now a cobbler shaker is that very almost like art deco's 1930s looking shaker shaker and it has um a lovely sort of uh sieve built into it so that when you're straining your cocktail it just comes out and it, any bits of fruit you know if you've squeezed lemons or limes they sort of stay within the cocktail shaker so i love a cobbler shaker as well as that i would get yourself a jigger which is a shot measure um because quite often um they will be 25 milliliters on one side and uh 50 milliliters on the other so it's really easy um to measure things you want. yeah but what i would also say is if somebody's listening to this thinking oh that all sounds a bit expensive i don't have the money to spend on that if you don't have a cocktail shaker you can use a jam jar you can use anything you know how you like you can shake dressings in a yeah. jam jar and then pour them over your salads you can do the same with a cocktail so if you don't have the money or the resource to go out and buy yourself a specialist shaker i always say use what you've got you can mix cocktails in jugs you, you know shaken or stirred you, you don't have to shake a shaker what is nice about shaking a cocktail is that it distributes the when you put ice in the shaker it makes the drink cold very quickly mm. because you're you're vigorously letting those liquids go around the ice whereas if you're gently stirring it will take a while and actually there's something lovely about a crisp cold uh cocktail in your hand especially when we hope it gets warm in the summer <laughs> but a jam jar and a sieve that i hadn't even thought about that but a jam jar and a sieve can can uh, be just as effective absolutely it can and i'd always say don't let anything get in the way of the fact that you might want a drink you know if you want a <laughs> mocktail or a cocktail don't if you haven't got the right glass if you've looked at a recipe and it goes oh you need a specific style of champagne coupe to you know to to, to have that cocktail if you don't have it do not worry absolutely how use whatever you might have um, because my philosophy is always very much you have to sip happy. You have to if you're going to fix yourself or your friends and family a drink, then you should do it for a very positive reason to be celebratory. I don't think anybody should be drinking any drink to be down in the dumps. I think, you know, focus on the positives. And if you can fix a drink and it can make you smile, uh, whether it's tipping it down outside, whether all your flower petals have fallen off because <laughs> the rain was so vigorous last night, which is what's happening here. Looking out into my garden, my lilies are a mess quite frankly. But um, if you can smile and have a drink to make make you happy, then that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay, Andy, bank holiday cocktail and mocktail. What are you suggesting for my listeners this morning? Ah, well, what I would suggest, I've got um, one, I mentioned the whole elderflower thing earlier on. Yeah. Now, I love doing a cocktail 
which I call um, twinkle toes. So a twinkle is um, a sort of traditional cocktail that's made with sparkling wine, often champagne. And uh, that is, uh, you use elderflower cordial in there and you put a bit of vodka. However, I've sort of changed up a bit and made it a bit more zingy and a bit more fun. And it reminds me of uh, going out into cities like uh, Dublin and sometimes in London and having cocktails and maybe dancing on tables. And uh, so uh, We've this We've never do that, Andre. <laughs> oh, only if the uh, security guards uh, allow you to. Around their break. <laughs> when they're on their <laughs> break. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and please remove, a safety note, please remove all glassware from yes. the table. <laughs> um, so what I would suggest is you can make this in a pitcher, in a nice big jug, so that you can share it with family and friends. Because sometimes you can make a cocktail that's just like one portion or two portions. But the great thing about using a bottle of sparkling wine in a cocktail is that if you've got a big enough jug or pitcher, you can do that at the beginning of a family bar barbecue or any family event and friends are coming over and you can just pour a little bit for everybody so what i would suggest would be a uh, bottle of sparkling wine use a nice good quality sparkling wine it doesn't have to be champagne you know there's loads of really nice ones i'm, I'm quite a fan of carver actually I yeah think spanish carver yeah. um is really underrated um and it's really nice and it's not too expensive so add to that i would add um lemon juice if you can squeeze some lemon juice you can add um, an elderflower liqueur because there will be lots of lovely little artisan producers of elderflower gin and vodka liqueurs um out there and then add some vodka just for that little kick and even though so you know you'd add about um i'd say around 150 milliliters of the uh um, of the lemon juice, 250 of the elderflower liqueur, and again, 150 of, uh, the, uh, of the vodka. But you might sound like, oh gosh, that's rather a lot, but it's not because you are diluting that with, with an entire cup, bottle yeah. of the sparkling. It doesn't actually, you, I, honest to God, if I made this for you now, you'd go, that tastes lovely, but it doesn't taste very alcoholic. If you made and, this for me and, now, and, Andy, you'd be my favourite person in the whole world. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been up early enough today to actually feel like, you know, you know, because you're probably up early prepping for the radio show, this is almost like your dinner time already. It's sure. always, you know, you're, you, I'm well ready for so it. <laughs> I think, and you're ready. And it's, look, it's nearly midday, Edward. So, you know, I think you're quite frankly, you're allowed it. <laughs> and then what do we, we shake that up? Do we put that on ice then? Or how do we oh, serve well, it? Well, what we would do is in the jug, first and foremost, put the ice in the jug so, so that everything, put all your liquid ingredients other than the sparkles um, into the jug with the ice. Give it a little stir so it, the, the ice starts to work its magic. Make sure everything's cold. And then what I would suggest is tip the jug slightly. You know, when you pour a glass of fizz or you so you see somebody pulling a pint, they will have the glass angled so that when the fizzy contents go in, it doesn't bubble over. So what I would suggest is that you tip that jug slightly on a 45 degree angle, gently and slowly pour in the sparkling wine so that it doesn't just all end up looking like a bubble bath. <laughs> and then give it another little stir to make sure that all the ingredients are incorporated with a long stir. You know, those very long spoons yes, yeah. you can get. It's really nice to get one of those because you get right down to the bottom of the uh, the pitcher there. Um, and uh, yeah, I would suggest doing that. And then you can pour it into champagne flutes or champagne coupes, which always look really classy. I love and the coupes at the minute. They are so lovely. I think coupes are really classy. They're quite decadent. They just they look really, really nice. They make you feel like you're in a... In a very nice cocktail bar. A somewhere. friend of mine gave uh, you, me some with that are gold. They're gold rimmed and they're beautiful. I feel very posh when I have them. 
Oh, lovely. Oh, no, I like the gold-rimmed ones. They look really, really lovely. And it's easy to make any cocktail uh, look really nice. And then you can just garnish if you wanted to with, like, a, if you've got a vegetable peeler and a lemon, you could um, just do a little peel of lemon and rub it around the rim so you get that extra sort of zesty lemoniness. Or if you want to be really... Um, uh, really sort of uh, classy with it. What you can do is peel yourself a little bit of peel, cut it with a sharp knife on a chopping board. So maybe about, I don't know, four or five centimeters in length and two millimeters wide. Wrap that round a, ch- um, a chopstick and then it forms a little ringlet. You know, when you go to a cocktail yeah. bar and you get that like, little ringlet of uh, peel, that looks so lovely. And they're not hard to do and you can do those ahead of time. So the good thing is, is that you can do some prep ahead of time. Like you would, if you had friends coming around, if I was coming around to yours for dinner, you wouldn't start your risotto from scratch when I arrive, would you? You'd maybe get it to a certain stage. You've nurtured it. And so that you can just finish it off when your guests arrive. And you can do the same uh, with cocktails. So uh, get your garnishes done in ahead of time. Andy, when you're coming around, then I'll do the risotto. You bring the kind of the, the jug of the pitcher of uh, of twinkle toes, a la Andy. I will. And that, would be, that would be great. Andy, before I let you go, very briefly, because the clock is against me, um, talk to me about a mocktail then. What could we do for those that didn't wish to imbibe this weekend. Ah, uh, to see, I love fruit. I'm not a huge fan of sweet drinks, but I do like fruit flavour. And I've got one that I've um, recently developed, which I'm calling uh, Raspberry Passion. And it uses a raspberry cordial. If you can get a really good raspberry cordial, maybe one that's got a, a great taste star or, you know, an award on it. You know how you see the little stars on um, packaging these days. If you can get one of those, then brilliant. Use a dash. So say, I'd just say about 25 millilitres of the raspberry cordial. Put in with that 50 millilitres of passion fruit puree. I can never say it. Passion fruit puree. You can buy pouches of these online and they're very, very good. Um, and add to that some cranberry juice, add to that some lime juice and shake it up in a shaker. And it's just divine with, with ice in the shaker and pour it in a very small glass, maybe a martini glass or a Nicanora glass, which again is one of those very, very small liqueur-like glasses, a bit like a sherry schooner. Um, and that's a really, really lovely drink. And what you can do, you know, when you go to a cocktail bar and you get that sort of like nice texture like a froth on top that's created by egg white and what you can do is actually put an egg white in there and when you shake it um, it forms that lovely froth or if you didn't want egg white if you were vegan you could use aquafaba which is the uh, the water from a can of chickpeas and that's a really lovely zingy fruity mocktail without any alcohol in it at all for anybody who might be driving or if you didn't want to partake in alcohol this weekend sounds absolutely fabulous i'm certainly going to make a, a picture of the early one because i um am <laughs> in a position to imbibe this weekend so i'm going to put in uh my um 150 lemon juice 250 elderflower um cordial and 150 vodka top it up with a jug of cava chill the coops and uh, pop the feet yes. up Andy thanks so much for joining us people can follow you on Instagram at TV's Andy Clark and as I said author of Home Bar available in all good bookshops with another book on the way and I know you're going to come back on and chat with me about that when it comes out but for now Andy have a very nice weekend and thanks so much for sharing those cocktails with us Lovely to speak to you and I'll see you very soon. Take care. Look forward to that. God bless. Bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. KCLR. Now, what I can tell you is timekeeping is never one of my good strengths, you know. So if you're ever reading about my life story, timekeeping uh, will be in there as one of the flaws. But anyway, listen... 
They've embraced my flaws here in KCLR Laura, and after all this time, they haven't sacked me yet. I'm going to take my leave of you now. Thanks so much to Martin Bridgman, uh, who was with us uh, all morning doing a super job as always. Thanks to Ethna Quirk for your news and sports and she'll be here with you very shortly. Uh, Robbie um, and all of the team will be here this afternoon and Shane and they've bringing you all good things sport. Tara, I think, is up next uh, doing the Saturday brunch show. Thanks to all of my guests and if the Lord spares me, I will see you all next week. I'm now going into the Casey Law boardroom and I'm going to take off my shorts and t-shirts, put on my trousers and shoes and shirt and head to Ennis Gorthy to do a demonstration. So to be a flash of flesh here in Casey Law very shortly. Talk to you next week. God bless. This Saturday show with Edward Hayden. KCLR. With thanks to Lyreth Estate, Kilkenny's luxury hotel. Perfect for spoiling yourself. More details on lyreth.com.